This is why yeah. principles matter. Right. Because you ingrain in the human heart is the desire to protect the weak and the vulnerable right. and the elderly and the terminally ill. We, we all, yeah. that's why we're rising as a culture to this occasion. But when push comes to shove, if you don't have principles on which to ground your decision making in a triage situation, yeah. it goes out the window. Welcome to Healing the Culture with Camille and Michael. I'm Camille Polly, president of Healing the Culture, and this is my co-host, Michael Polly. Hello, Michael. Hi. Good, good to, to see you. Yeah. It's good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're uh, recording this from our home office studio in uh, Snohomish, Washington, Washington State. And Michael, we've been under house arrest for how long now? Uh, quite a few days. Quite a few days, a couple weeks. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And how's it going? Well, I normally work from home, as you know, so yes. I think my adjustment's a little easier than it is for most people. So the Perfect. new, the new normal that? has always been the normal for me. So. <laughs> Very good. Well, I know that um, those of you who have joined us last time know that our first podcast that we did was on um, all of the developments related to coronavirus, um, the COVID-19 situation, and um, how it affects the pro-life movement. And we discussed a variety of issues. Uh, but one in particular that we talked about was the rationing of healthcare, and it was a news story at the time. There was there wasn't much to say except people were very concerned about questions that were coming up that hospitals were considering rationing healthcare and how that would play out. And so we raised the question, and there's been a lot of development since then, Michael. So I'd like to focus on that today and give our viewers an update on what's happening and what they should watch out for and what they can do. We'll have some action items for you at the end. So can you give us a brief about what, what exactly was the situation, Michael? Sure. Well, um, as we touched on in our last broadcast, there were a number of uh, hospitals and state government bodies that were um, essentially adopting uh, rationing plans, healthcare rationing plans, and these were being done in anticipation of potential worst case scenarios with regard to coronavirus. So uh, for example, um, looking at the situation in Italy where we saw hospitals that were overwhelmed um, and basically in a triage situation where they had more patients than they had resources to deal with. And so in anticipation of that kind of situation developing in the United States, um, you know, some of these hospitals and state government bodies were uh, proposing plans uh, to ration the healthcare resources if that happened. So um, things have moved fast since our last broadcast. Yeah. And, and I think the most noteworthy uh, development has been that the Office of Civil Rights for the Department of Health and Human Services, the Federal Department of Health and Human Services, uh, came out with a new bulletin. And this actually came out the day after we did our last recording. Uh, and it's a very strongly worded statement um, that says that they are opening a number of investigations uh, to examine whether states have been improperly allowing hospitals to di discriminate on the basis of disability, race, and age, and other factors in the midst of the COVID-19 um, pandemic. So the bulletin was sent out to whom? Uh, it was sent out to um, uh, hospitals and government entities and uh, basically everyone who is subject to the civil rights laws. Okay. And, uh, and it was a very, very good statement. Yeah, so we have some quotes we wanted to share with our viewers, and I'd like to get your comment on some of these quotes. The, the, um, the statement was titled Civil Rights, HIPAA, and Coronavirus Disease 2019. And 
One of the things that uh, came out in the statement was so powerful right up at the top. The, um, the director of the Office of Civil Rights is Roger Severino. And right at the top of the bulletin, they state, persons with disabilities should not be denied medical care on the basis of stereotypes, assessments of quality of life, or judgments about a person's relative worth based on the presence or absence of disabilities or age. This is strong pro-life language. Yes, yeah. yes, it, it really is. And, uh, and it, it, it kind of uh, builds upon what we were talking about in our last podcast, which is that even when we are in a crisis situation, a triage situation, medical ethics don't fly out the window. Right. And of course, what uh, Roger Severino is sort of saying is that not only do medical ethics not fly out the window, but neither do civil rights laws uh, right. go into a state of suspension uh, just because we're in the midst of a and healthcare it's crisis. good to remind people of that. Another statement they, they made was HHS is committed to leaving no one behind during an emergency. Yeah. So we hear this sometimes, you know, this wonderful phrase that you hear, leave no one behind in a time of, you know, civil strife or, you know, war. But here yeah. in this war against this pandemic, the same applies. Yeah. And we leave no man, no woman behind, no matter what. Well, let's talk about some of the comments that are made um, in this uh, statement. Roger Severino talks about how our civil rights laws protect the equal dignity of every human life from ruthless utilitarianism. Talk about what utilitarianism? Well, um, utilitarianism um, it, in the midst of this current crisis could take the form of saying that some lives um, that we deem to be more valuable to society are going to be given preference in terms of allocation of resources over yes. others. So and there was uh, a story that, uh, I forget where it was, Washington Post maybe, but the story was very concerned concerning about how some hospitals were considering and verbalizing that they thought it would be best to give priority of treatment to anybody who is sick, who works in healthcare, who is a medical yeah. doctor before they got sick, and or who is a researcher, a scientific researcher, because they would be more useful to society than other schmucks who present themselves with COVID-19. I mean, yes. and this is obviously saying you cannot make that judgment of yeah. who, whose life is worth more than someone else's. That's right. And, and it's kind of ironic that people would be making statements like that in the midst of this current crisis, where, as many people have pointed out, um, some of the heroes in this current crisis are grocery store yeah. clerks, truck drivers, you know, who are bringing food to market and these other people that are, are oftentimes not thought about, not, you know, maybe uh, cherished, I guess, uh, right. for their contributions to society. That's right. And now we're all looking at them in a little different light exactly. saying, you're the heartbeat <laughs> that is keeping things going Sanitation in the midst of this crisis. And, exactly. Yeah, people the trash still your gets utilities picked up. And yeah. That's right. You can talk to somebody on Zoom and say connected to people and, and with you yeah. have other emergencies besides COVID-19 that need to be dealt with on a daily basis. Yeah. So while it's, we obviously want to take as best care of our medical workers and our scientific researchers as we can, and they deserve the same good care, mm -hmm. we have to remember that without them, you know, we can't dis survive diseases and illnesses, but without our food service people, we can't eat. Yes. And so they're all equal. And, and, and in fact, it goes beyond that, you know, without are you know people with disabilities without elderly people without people mm -hmm. who ha are medically vulnerable we forget what it is we're living for absolutely right it's not yeah. just about the extension of life and the quantity of how many years you have right but the value of life is more importantly 
what you yeah. have to give as a human being, what you uh -huh. have to give as a person. But the reason why we try to extend our life is because persons have the capacity to love. And yes. all persons have that ability. And that's what this document is getting at. Yeah. We are all equally valuable. Yeah. So um, then he, uh, Roger Severino, I noticed he, he, he sort of hones in on specifics. And I want to talk about those specifics. He says, persons with disabilities, with limited English skills, or needing religious accommodations should not be put at the end of the line for health services during emergencies. What are the concerns for people with disabilities, limited English skills, and particularly people needing religious accommodations? What does that mean? Well, um, certainly in the area of disabilities, um, some of the concerns that have been raised by disability rights advocates is that, again, in a situation where there might be rationing of health care, that doctors are going to look at a patient who, say, has cystic fibrosis um, and say that, well, you know, that person is going to uh, score lower, if you will, in terms of receiving treatment because their quality of life after recovery uh, would not be as complete or as long as okay. say a patient in a different category so uh, that would be one so that example would be, that would be similar to, to age the age discrimination that the yes. measurement that there's two people and all things being equal i'm going to pay more attention to giving care to the person who's younger because yes. after they get well they'll have more years to live more years than yeah. the person who is older Exactly. That would be a violation of civil rights, civil rights absolutely. as well as a violation of the principle of the intrinsic dignity of any human person, absolutely. of every human person. Absolutely. Right? Um, but what about, the question then comes up, well, what about in the situation of COVID-19 itself, you have maybe an older person and a younger person, and the younger you only have a ventilator for one or the other, and the younger person shows more promise that he'll actually recover from COVID-19, the older person does not show, even with the ventilator, mm -hmm. you know, that she's go going to recover as well as the prediction of the younger person. In that case, can you make that discrimination? Yes, well, the, the ethically sound principle would be um, uh, allocating resources based upon the chances of, okay. of the treatment being efficacious, you know, for, okay. for recovery. But, but it wouldn't be ethical to uh, think beyond the short-term situation uh, and, and, and starting to apply an analysis of, well, if I save this younger person, they're going to maybe live for another 30 or 40 years, whereas saving the life of this elderly person, they might only live another 10 years. And so based on that standard, I'm going to assign higher priority to saving the life of the younger person. That's where you get into trouble. So doctors and nurses can ethically discriminate who to give a ventilator to based on the short-term recovery prospects of the disease itself yes. in these two patients, yes. but not based on after they get well, who's going to be more contributive to society or who's going to live longer. Right, exactly. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. In an interview with the New York Times, Mr. Severino actually said that the action of the Civil Rights Office was in response to numerous complaints that people had from what he called a broad spectrum of civil rights groups, yes. um, pro-life organizations, disabilities rights groups. Do you know what any of these complaints, specific complaints were? Yes, and uh, one of them actually pertains to uh, our home state of Washington, um, where uh, there were a number of groups, including the group Disability Rights Washington, that complained with the Office of Civil Rights about some of the rationing plans that have come out by entities in Washington State, including the Washington State Department of Health, um, the Northwest Healthcare Regional Network, and the University of Washington Medical Center. 
And some of the areas of concern, uh, I'll just quote a little bit from the University of Washington plan. And just for our, our, our viewers to clarify, these are not plans that are actually, in a sense, being uh, implemented right now. These are sort of contingency plans that if we get into a situation where you know a we have a triage uh, type uh, scenario and there's more patients than there are resources to treat them, then these would this kick is into what effect. We would do. Right. Okay. And so here, for example, is a few quotes from the University of Washington plan. The first quote they say is, the standard construct for medical resource allocation in time of scarcity is based on a utilitarian framework. So there's quote. So right they're acknowledging, yeah. right? Yeah, it's very we kind are of, yeah. basing this on utilitarianism. Yeah, very yeah. breathtaking admitting it. honesty right up front. Um, and then they go on to state that their goal is to make decisions that provide the greatest good for the greatest number. Uh, and that's an interesting calculation because by whose determination? Well, what do you mean by the greatest? Well, point? yes, and you know, and, and and that is where they go on to uh, define a factor that they think contributes to a definition of the greatest good, and that is this: uh, overall survival may be further qualified as healthy long-term survival, recognizing that this represents weighting the survival of young, otherwise healthy patients more heavily than that of older, chronically debilitated patients. It is patients. such a statement of our culture and yes. what's wrong with it and yes. what's sick with it. That yes. what we value more than anything else is, you know, health and being yeah. athletic and being able-bodied and being independent and being, you know, being able to, you know, yeah. enjoy a quality of life on what we would call happiness levels one and two. Yes. Right? The physical pleasure and the ego gratification, but forgetting all about the kind of quality of life that's brought in by those who can bring love and compassion and forgiveness and faith into the world. Right. Where you don't need, you know, health in a physical sense. Mm -hmm. And sometimes health in a physical sense gets in the way of our ability to yeah. practice level three and level four quality of life. And, and what's yeah. so wonderful about what is happening with the Office of Civil Rights is that yeah. reminder that mm -hmm. as a culture, this is what we value. And Absolutely. this administration is going to uphold that what we call level three, level four value of human yes. life and human dignity and the quality of life. Um, that, that's wonderful. So uh, what, what else is wrong with this statement? Was, were there other? Well, um, in our last uh, uh, broadcast, we uh, talked a little bit about how the National Catholic Bioethics Center is a very good resource for learning about how yes. medical ethics get applied in these triage situations. And the um, National Catholic Bioethics Center, since our last broadcast, has updated their website. They've added a lot of new resources. And one of their statements um, is specifically addressed to these proposed rationing plans. And they state on their website, and this is, uh, I'm quoting, uh, categorical exclusions based solely on an individual's age, disability, or medical condition, if it does not impact short-term COVID-19 survival, constitute unjust discrimination and are immoral, wow. close quote. And so again, you know, that touches on the distinction you were raising before is that um, it, it's true all other things being equal, that an older person who is, is more frail um, may have a worse prognosis for recovery than, than a younger person. Um, and, and that might factor into the judgment about the, the chances that they have for recovery. But that's different from what the 
National Catholic Bioethics Center is talking about, which is making a categorical exclusion that we're just going to say, oh, you know, if you're over this age, then, you know, you get shunted into a lower tier for priority yeah. because you don't have as many years of life ahead of you. That's you know, where you go off the rails. I, and I see such a contradiction here. The, everyone knows by now that this disease is by far affecting the elderly. You know, those with compromised immune systems, those yes. who are disabled. Um, yeah. uh, we, we know that. And so we're all taking these radical measures to stay at home, to cover our faces, yeah. you know, to wear gloves, to, you know, to cough into our elbows, to, you know, yeah. closing down businesses. Why? So that we can protect the elderly, yeah. the disabled, the medically right. vulnerable. But then when it push comes to shove and there's a young person who's healthy there, suddenly we throw all that out the window. You yeah. old people don't care anymore. It don't, it don't matter anymore because now we yeah. got a young person here. And, and, and in a way, this shouldn't surprise you, us because, you know, we, you we can have, see the tension. we've talked for years about these ethical shortcomings in yeah. our healthcare yeah. system and in the way we approach these life issues. And so nobody should be surprised that that it, it doesn't just all disappear and go away we're in the, when we're in the midst of right. a healthcare crisis. This is why yeah. principles matter. Right. Because you ingrain in the human heart is the desire to protect the weak and the vulnerable right. and the elderly and the terminally ill. We, we all, yeah. that's why we're rising as a culture to this occasion. But when push comes to shove, if you don't have principles on which to ground your decision making in a triage situation, yeah. it goes out the window. And you yeah. see that happening. Oh, yeah. you know, we're yeah. so blessed by. You know, everybody running together and, and solving the problems of the elderly until a young person with a disease comes along and then you push them aside. Yeah. Because we don't have these ethical principles in place. That's why you need healing the culture. That's right. right? That's, That's right. why we exist. To get these, these principles. I want to focus on one other thing. I don't want to bypass this one. The religious discrimination issue. Yes. Where do, what does that mean? How, how would a healthcare worker in a situation with somebody who's suffering from COVID-19 in a hospital you know, be violating somebody's civil rights in a religious context. What does sure. that mean? Well, one of the specific examples that was mentioned in the bulletin that came out from the Office for Civil Rights would be um, uh, allowing uh, access, for example, uh, to see um, a, a priest or a pastor. Oh, right. uh, for, for last rights, maybe. For, exactly. Mm -hmm. and, Extreme unction. And, and so um, if, if that is in any sense arbitrarily denied uh, in this situation, then that could be a civil rights violation as well. So as long as it's practicable, then you cannot refuse someone access to their pastor, their priest, sure. their religious leader to receive yes. final blessings, last rites. Yeah. That person has a right to that, unless for some reason it's just simply not practical. Yeah. And obviously, in this current situation, you know, where this is a highly infectious disease, then you know, there, there's going to be some considerations with how you apply that. But it this might, is it might, it might, yeah, yeah, it might mean that a clergy member is going to have to go to extraordinary measures like donning, you know, protective right. gear and all that in order to to be at the side of that patient. But what the Civil Rights Office again is saying is that if it is practicable, then you need to allow that accommodation. Very so, good. And I suppose yeah. it would also have to do with people who do not want to receive a vaccine. Because there's some concern in religious mm -hmm. communities about vaccines and yeah. their efficacy and, you know, their morality, their ethical yeah. considerations. Some people have that ethical consideration. So I suppose that might have come into play as well. People who want to refuse vaccines. Perhaps. We don't yes. really know. Okay. Yeah, we, we, we need to do a lot more research on the vaccine issue. And, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a big that, issue. That'll be, that'll be a topic for another uh, episode. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> All right. So, so we have been living with this for now... Um, 
gosh, a couple of months. A couple of months, yeah. Are there any signs of hope? Well, I think there are. Um, and uh, I know that probably a lot of our listeners have their various bones to pick with the, the media coverage. And uh, um, I, I think that in many senses, the media sometimes doesn't focus on giving meaningful information. I know when I go to uh, some of the local media sources that I read here in Washington state, all they do is just give you that death count tally. It's yeah. just, you know, we're up, you know, it's 150, it's 180. And, 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 you know, obviously those statistics matter. I mean, there's a human face, there's a human family behind every one of those um, statistics, but it's also kind of, um, there, there's a sensationalist uh, tint to it, I think, where they, they focus so much on just here's the death count, here's the death count, here's the death count, that they don't give you other information that you need to try to give context for like, what we're living through. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. it's not put into context. What, is, what do these numbers mean? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, this is just, uh, you know, think about Snohomish County, where we're sitting right now as a mm -hmm. microcosm. Snohomish mm -hmm. County is unique. Um, for a couple of reasons. First, we had the very first case of a positive COVID-19 diagnosis in the entire United States occurred right here in Snohomish County in late January. So we, we were the first. Um, that man was hospitalized uh, in a, a facility just a few miles from where we're sitting right now. Um, we're also unique in that uh, just south of us in King County, uh, the very first deaths from COVID-19 occurred. So in a very real sense, we've been kind of living with this uh, a lot longer than most other parts of the United States uh, have. And right now within Washington state, this county has the second highest number of COVID-19 cases. And the total- So that sounds bad. It sounds bad. And it, uh, and it is bad for those who, who have it. You know, it's almost a little bit like that uh, joke you hear about, it's never minor surgery if it's happening to you. Right. You know? <laughs> so, right. so, exactly. so certainly, uh, you know, if it, uh, and the number is uh, 1,503 uh, positive cases of, uh, of coronavirus. But, and this is where That's I get- all cases of coronavirus in, 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 in this, Snohomish in this county. county. That, Including people who have recovered. Exactly. But that yeah. is an interesting Nobody thinks about that. They just that, think the number of people get sick is increasing and all these other people are still sick right. and more. And now these people are still sick and all these sick people instead of saying, well, okay, but this many are no longer sick. Right. Exactly. And, and are immune now. And, and yeah. so to that point, we have, as of today, the latest statistics from the county health department is that 615 people, uh, who have been diagnosed with the coronavirus have fully recovered. In other words, these wow. are people who are, like, uh, if they're allowed to work, you know, they're they're back, they're at, back work at work and like they're not quarantined or whatever. Yeah, yeah it actually equals, um, yeah, just uh, forty one percent of okay. the total number of cases are people who don't even have the sickness anymore. And that's something that is the the discrepancy I'm talking about, where. You hear these, the total case number just keeps increasing every day, every day, and it just makes you feel like, gosh, this problem is getting worse and worse and worse. Well, this is the same thing going on in every state and in the national statistics is that they keep showing you the higher numbers, but they rarely tell you what percentage of those have already had the sickness. And are now in the grocery they, stores walking around with right. you and you don't have to worry about them anymore exactly. because they are immune. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so maybe a few other things to kind of give some perspective is that the population of our county, Snohomish County, is 825,000 people. And so the total number of 
positive COVID-19 cases, including all of those who have fully recovered, um, that is well under one half of 1% of the wow. population. Now, obviously, you know, as all the health experts are saying, there's obviously a lot more people out there who have COVID-19 who we just don't know it, they haven't mm -hmm. been tested yet. But again, with these very small numbers, I mean, even if it was 10 times or 20 times or 30 times more people out there actually carrying the virus that we just don't know about, it's still a relatively small um, percentage of the population. Um, and so that's so, just something that doesn't mean that it's no big deal, but it, it should give us perspective. Yeah, yes, we should yeah. not have mass hysteria. Yeah, should, right. This should keep us yeah. reasoned and, and calm and, yeah. and still concerned about taking care of our neighbor and taking yeah. care of our families themselves, but there's no reason for hysteria. Exactly. And the other thing, and this is another place where I feel like the media has really kind of done a disservice in their reporting, is that not only do they kind of fail to give regular updates about how many people have recovered, but they don't spend enough time focusing on the number of people who are hospitalized, because this is the concern that we read about, is that we don't want the hospitals to get overloaded. Right. Because, of course, if the hospitals get overloaded, not only does it present a problem for adequately treating the COVID-19 cases, but then it also potentially creates problems where what if you have a heart attack? What if you have a stroke? What if you have an appendicitis? And there are no ventilators exactly. left. Exactly. So no that, doctors available. And, so yeah. that's where you could start seeing deaths occurring from things that, you know, completely unrelated to COVID-19, but but they just occur because of the scarcity of healthcare yeah. resources. So let's look at hospitalizations in, again, using our county as a microcosm, um, the number of people who are hospitalized in this county is just under 100 people. And that's been ticking very slowly up over the last couple of weeks. It was in the 70s and the 80s, and, and now it's into the, the 90-something. But still, it's never broken over 100 uh, people during the entire length of this crisis. And, and so again, wow, comparing okay. that to the larger number of people uh, who have tested positive, uh, having fewer than 100 people hospitalized um, is, a, is a good sign that the system is not being overwhelmed. Now, obviously, we see that in New York City, um, you know, we have, see a different scenario unfolding. I mean, it does appear that the hospitals there are facing a much worse situation um, than what we have here in Washington State. But, but I think there's, there's reason um, to be hopeful that, um, and in fact, the the, the director of the effort in Washington state for COVID-19 um, feels pretty confident that when we reach the peak, which they're predicting to happen about a week from now, okay. um, that, that, that we are not going to be in a situation where we run out of beds or run out of ventilators. That's, that's their optimistic projection. So that's there are news. signs for hope. That's good news. <laughs> All right, Michael, well, we, um, we will keep praying and we will keep reporting and we will keep bringing information to our viewers. And we are so grateful that you are doing this research for us. Michael, you have a way of encapsulating it and making things very understandable in order to, I think, keep everybody, um, keep everybody filled with hope, as you say. So, yes. so we want to thank you for watching. Be sure to, just, to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, click on the notification bell so that you'll know when we've posted the newest episode. You can find this and our other episodes on, uh, on iTunes. And as always, you can learn more about our mission at healingtheculture.com. That's healingtheculture.com. God bless you and see you next time.